All right, everyone. Welcome back to Smithcyclopedia. Uh, I believe it is episode 12, and today we have with us a very special guest, a very special returning guest from Bittersweet Hearts Bands, uh, Bittersweet Hearts, the band, as well as like 80 billion other things. It is Alyssa Robertson. Happy to be back. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, Alyssa, what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, today we will be talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen Patrick Morrissey. Yes. Yes, we will. Um, I remember after our last episode that we, we recorded together, which I think was episode five, I want to say. Something like that. Yeah. We were just like chatting afterwards and you basically just said, hey, listen, if you ever do like just a profile on Morrissey, I call dibs on that. Like yeah. that is what I want to do. I was like, I'm your girl. I'm in for it. <laughs> yes, we love when somebody is just so prepared that they're like, I need to be on this episode because I know I can talk so much about this. I'm I'm just waiting because uh, I feel like I have the perfect guest to talk about Mita's murder, but we've got a while to go before uh, before that happens. Um, but anyways, this is all besides the point. Okay. Um, so Alyssa, I guess before we begin, I've already done like an interview with you, and for those listening, uh, go check out episode five where we can learn a lot about like what Alyssa's favorite Smith songs, albums, how she got into the band. Yeah, all that stuff. But let's talk about the Morrissey news today. The Morrissey drama. Um, Elaine White is no longer going to be touring with uh, with Morrissey anymore. Or maybe even writing for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is, this is news to me. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I mean, like, it it only was announced a few days ago, I think. Um, But basically, Morrissey's uh, website, Morrissey Central, um, kind of a wild thing. So, Boz Boer is, I think, just in Australia right now. Like, so he's not touring with Morrissey, taking just a little bit of time off, I think. But Elaine White uh, was touring with him for a little bit, was writing some of the new stuff. And then Morrissey's uh, Morrissey and Morrissey's website uh, released a statement that essentially said uh, Elaine White will no longer uh, be touring. Elaine, or I should say White, if I'm being a real journalist, uh, White uh, later confirmed in a tweet that he was retiring. So that's kind of wild. Um, wow. yeah. he's been with, the, yeah, he's been Morrissey's like songwriting partner since what, 91 or two. Yeah. Early, early nineties to be safe. So in place of, uh, Elaine White, uh, someone is going to be stepping in for him. Uh, and her name is Carmen Vander Vandenberg, excuse me. And I believe she, is also the guitarist for uh, the band Bones UK. 
Um, I don't know if that's like they're called bones, but then because of some legal dispute, they have to be called bones UK in America. We we know of a few yes, bands like that. Yes, a la London suede. Ugh. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, yeah. Ugh. But she seems like she's a very, very accomplished guitarist. And for what I currently know, um, I think she's just filling in for the tour for like a few shows in the summer. So I don't know if she's going to be like a permanent replacement. But still, like, what a wild shakeup. Yeah. I mean, that's that's showbiz sometimes, you know. Hey, that's showbiz. That's showbiz, baby. And I guess it relates to... Um, kind of what our topic is today uh and a morrissey quote where he says uh my life is a, is a succession of people saying goodbye oh boy <laughs> <laughs> which i also find funny because so many times morrissey has just said like you know i really don't even like being around the people that i like um maybe it's like a phobia or whatever i don't know anyways um there's a lot to get into with uh with the man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should probably begin when he was born. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, um, yeah, let's just go I mean, for it. What do you want to know? He was born May twenty second, nineteen fifty nine. So he's like, what? What is that? A Gemini? Oh shoot! I've yes, no, he is a Gemini. a Gemini. I, I remember that from my days on Tumblr. <laughs> Okay. Oh boy. Tumblr. What a place to be. So what a place. Um, his parents um immigrated from Ireland to Manchester about a year before he was born. Um and um let's see. I mean so much of it was like his aunts and uncles because you know his parents are Irish, therefore there's like a million siblings big families that was like he has like several aunts and uncles on each side it's wild i would lose track um but you know um let's see his dad peter his family came out like you know one by one uh to manchester and then he was out there and then at a certain point he was like you know betty let's just move the family out there betty's his mother if you couldn't figure that out via context clues (laughs) um yeah and then he has an older sister who is, I think, two years older, perhaps. And her name is Jackie. Um, yes. Yes. And um, let's see. He grew up within an Irish community. Um, and um, I think that's interesting, kind of situating. And this was like a theme I saw a lot within um Morrissey's sort of life um was this idea of being like an outsider which I think permeates his work both Smith's and Solo Mm -hmm. you know I don't know if that's a thought of mine or you know it's 2023 who has an original thought anymore um but that was something that I kept coming back to in my um research yeah no I mean like that totally makes sense and like from everything that I've read as well, which, by the way, I should mention I to to the uh, to the listeners, I wasn't able to prepare quite as well. All of my books that I thought I had on Morrissey back home have mysteriously disappeared. 
right in time for this episode. So uh, all of my like special quotes that I was like, yeah, I'm going to have this from like this rare book from 1987, that's gone. I'm so upset. Um, but from what I remember <laughs> about those books, um, they were, that was a lot of like Morrissey's kind of ethos, not just from, uh, not just from himself either, but from other people is that he was kind of an outsider, didn't quite know how to, uh, how to fit in. Like even people that knew him very, very well, like Linder Sterling were like, he was never quite like, he was never a, a people person Mm -hmm. never uh never got along very well with anybody else yeah yeah um there was i forget where i was reading this and um it was like you know he spent like the hot summer holed up in his room with his books and his records and i was just like of course me too who wouldn't yeah and like uh another another thing in that same vein is he said like the smiths only happened because he walked home one too many times in the rain just like the man paints himself as the most uh disparagingly lonely person in the world yeah um but i can also understand uh kind of tying it back to like his family like feeling like you get a little lost in that especially I come from a very big family myself. My, uh, in my mom's family, there are 10 siblings, including her. And so there's 80 bajillion cousins and, uh, we're all pretty close, uh, with each other. And at one point in time, we were all very close location wise. And so it kind of just, uh, it could be very easy to fall into the cracks. Okay. Um, yeah. Luckily, I mean, I've been a performer since birth, so, you know, if anybody stopped paying attention to me, I wouldn't let them. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's great. Um, hmm. Uh, But Morrissey... I don't know. uh, Yeah. What other things do you feel like are kind of the Morrissey-like... The Morrissey youth uh i have no clue what i'm trying to say Alyssa. help me out here what are the characteristics of morrissey's youth there we go Um, how's that yeah let's see okay so um a lot of you know obviously like loneliness and then this sort of like i was saying this outsider sort of figure like um where he was growing up there was a lot of sort of anti-irish sentiment um, and, uh, let's see, I think I have a quote here. So, you know, sort of having to deal with that, but there was, um, but then at, at the same time, there was some kind of community there where he said the Irish stuck rigidly together and there'd always be a relation living two doors down around the back or up the passage. So it's like mm-hmm. this sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, like an alienation, but within a community in a way yeah no for real i mean that's kind of uh like what the early 60s is definitely like when you get like a lot more irish people moving to uh moving to the north of england 
and really just establishing themselves as a community. I guess, like, in American terms, we'd consider that similar to, like, how you typically see a bunch of people of one ethnicity uh, living in, like, a general area. Mm -hmm. Even if it's, like, relatively the same, like, uh, like, economic or ecological region or whatever sometimes that just happens yeah yeah and um especially if it's a bunch of families too i guess mm-hmm. yeah and i think i mean i think there may be a part that sort of of him that took like a pride in it just kind of like yeah i'm different so what mm-hmm. like um there was it's so funny in this book i have he's quoted from the Irish Times. So this is like, I guess, like a publication called the Irish Times, wherein he says, I was very aware of being Irish, and we were told that we were quite separate from the scruffy kids around us. We were different to them. In many ways, though, I think I had the best of both places in the best of both countries. Uh, I'm one of us on both sides, which I think is really interesting, because when I read that, I just thought of um, Irish blood, English heart from You Are the Quarry. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think that's just really interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, like, that's immediately the song that, like, I go to as well when thinking about, like, Morrissey's youth um, and about, like, his upbringing as well. Because, like, yeah, raised raised in an Irish, uh, an Irish family, a very large Irish family. But then everything that Morrissey, like, enjoys and that everything that Morrissey like always talks about all the time they're very English things Mm -hmm. yeah like Coronation Street or like the imagery of George Best yeah you know um these are just very very English things that he feels very connected to and like even uh like after he's moved to LA, everybody that's been to his house is like, it's just like he has a little England in there. Yeah. Aw. Little England. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think also, we were talking about this on the last one I did, on the last podcast I did, on the Hand and Glove episode, where mm-hmm. um, there was also, you know, as he was growing up, his development for um, the love of girl groups and, you know, um, female singers from the 1960s um like his first let's see his first musical experience was seeing i think it was obviously sandy shaw uh seeing her on um i think top of the pops was it of course it was top of the pops yep and she was singing uh, the always something there to remind me so that's always fun. yeah um and then um, I think his first musical purchase was a Marian Faith, uh, Marian Faithful, forty-five. Yeah, it's called "Come yeah. and Stay with Me," and um, that I think that was just the start of his love for music. Uh, there's a quote of him saying, um, "You know, discovering this," he, uh, he says, "I remember it had a profound effect on me, and from that time, I was totally obsessed with popular music." So I think. Um, that that too like like uh you wouldn't think that you know like a little like i don't know how old he was 
eight years old, however old, would be like, oh, I love Sandy Shaw. I love Marion Faithful. Like, you wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily think that. But then again, there's that sort of um, difference, sort of, again, that sort of outsider and contrarianness that we yeah, often associate with Stephen. He's just a little different. Yeah. <laughs> that Sorry, that this is a podcast, and that was a very visual joke. If you've ever seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, it's the joke with the uh, hands, head, waving thing. Uh, you know, different. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think he talks a lot about, um, about his sort of very musical development as, as a child in his autobiography, how it's like the girl groups and then like T-Rex and David Bowie come mm-hmm. along and he suddenly like wow, oh my goodness, like, this is something that I've never seen before, and it's so amazing that people are getting so upset at this. I love how upset people are getting. Um, And then, of course, he latches on to the New York Dolls, who, like, they're kind of glam rock, they're proto-punk, and in his words, he's like, they just kind of looked like transgender people. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, T-Rex and David Bowie, you know, they were both sort of androgynous sort of figures. They confused a lot of people, which, again, contrarianism, you know, mm-hmm. such a um, polarizing difference from the sort of music of the time. And then the New York Dolls, you know, number one, Ameri- they're an American band, and, mm-hmm. you know, they dressed in drag and played glam rock. So that, too, is sort of I don't know what you want to call it again like his predilection for being different than those of his classmates and schoolmates and those kids his age yeah no for sure like I mean Morrissey's always had a big head um I I I totally wanted to throw this in up front but I think I forgot about it is Morrissey likes to remark that um that his head was so big at birth that it almost killed his mother. Yes, 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 yes. That came up in my uh, reading, too. I thought that was funny. I had to have a, a good chuckle at that. Yeah. Um, but Morrissey's always kind of had a big head, and I think, like, the certain, like, music... Uh, 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 what, what am I thinking of? Um, music... Um, elitism there we go uh the sort of music elitism that morrissey had certainly contributed to that as well mm-hmm. um as seeing himself as we keep going back to just a very different figure than everybody else around him mm-hmm. yeah and um i think like even aside from his musical um interests like you know at 11 he became a vegetarian and it's like you wouldn't think that this you know this young boy who's coming from a working class family would become vegetarian even though his mother was but it's still kind of like um not nothing that you would expect he's he's unexpected he keeps you on your toes for sure yeah and like even like at 11 you know he's very very vocal about what he believes in 
what bands he likes, what uh, what kind of shows he enjoys, who his favorite mm-hmm. actors are, even like his vegetarianism. Like I think Jackie has been quoted as saying like Morrissey would sometimes walk into the kitchen, see me making a sandwich, and then like ask me if I was really going to eat that. <laughs> Which I think is so funny for like a teenage Morrissey who I'm still picturing as like with a fully grown Morrissey adult head, you know, just smaller body, like a bobblehead almost. <laughs> oh, no. Um him just coming into the kitchen and saying something like that, I think is very funny and very indicative of the kind of person uh that he will be pretty much the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, let's see. And I mean, sometimes it's sometimes it's good. Sometimes it backfires on him. Yep. Oh boy. Um, let's see. And as I was reading too, I found some. I don't know. Yeah, I found some connection from his youth to, I guess you would call it like the content of some of the songs. Like he talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, or he he didn't talk about this. My research talked about this. Um, growing up um, with schools, you know, the schools that he went to that were very big on corporal punishment giving. Mm-hmm. It's giving headmaster ritual. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like there was there was one. Um, like the students were beat regularly. Oh my gosh! And I forget if it was when he was younger or older and one of the one of his classmates was sick and the headmaster was like oh yeah steven he lives down the road like walk him home and then he like walked him home dropped him off came back to school and the headmaster was like why did you leave him there alone (laughs) it's like he's like probably like what 10 like that's such a wild thing to be like why don't you think about that steven huh yeah I forgot about that. <laughs> oh man, I I love how equally like his teachers uh discounted him, but also just like put so much like responsibility onto him like cuz they were like, "Well, he's not going to do anything stupid." Yeah. Well, he's he's going to do something against you. He's just going to wait like eight years to do it and then you know immortalize you on wax yeah forever <laughs> yeah oh boy that's such a good song opening track gotta love it oh it's so good it's so good but um one thing about like morrissey's school days that i think like a lot of his peers and even a couple of his teachers corroborate morrissey didn't really get in trouble that much yeah like he stayed to himself and he was like he was just a good student or he tried to be um he got in trouble more with like other kids his age than anybody anybody else. But I think like just growing up in that environment, he internalized so much of it that like the world was very very against him. Mhm. Yeah. And um again, another funny little school little tidbit I found and again going back to our outsider contrarian um description is that on his first day of school um he wore you know well they wore uniforms 
you know, in, in his mm-hmm. schools. And um, on the first day of school, or, you know, just in general, um, he was wearing the uniform shorts when all the other boys were wearing pants. So he was like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to wear my shorts today. And I don't know, it's just so funny because it's like, of course, of course that would happen. Yeah. It It is almost like a cartoon, isn't it? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the plot of, like, a Simpsons episode. Um, Like, you know, everybody at school gets an earring, but then Bart shows up with an earring and everybody doesn't have them anymore or whatever. Something like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Come to think of it, I think I've only ever seen one or two photos of Morrissey wearing shorts, so... You know, it must have done a lot of psychological damage on him. <laughs> no more shorts. Oh, boy. Yeah, no more shorts. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. What else is there? Um, yeah, the nosebleeds. Okay, so let's talk about... I don't know. How old was he? He was probably, like, a teenager at this time. I think Maybe he was, like, 20s? 17 or 18. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, me, let, me, let me check that. Yeah. Uh, keep talking though. So the nosebleeds. Um, he formed he formed the band, and I think it's really cool. Um, Billy Duffy was in this band, and he, I think he left that band to go form the Cult, mm-hmm. which is you know, what is she selling? Sanctuary. She sells sanctuary exactly. down by the sad seashore, or whatever. How however the old saying goes, um, but. Yeah, but... And I had only ever heard of seashells. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Um, so Billy Duff- Duffy goes to form the cult, but but he's a mutual friend between Morrissey and Johnny Marr. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, from there, they get introduced to each other, and then the Smiths form, and the rest is history. Yeah. Um... So, also, who else is in the nosebleeds but Vinny frickin' Riley, the guy that does all the guitar work in, uh, in Viva Hate. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that until right now when I'm just, like, scrolling through things. I think Morrissey probably would have been, like, 18 or 19 mm-hmm. when, uh, when he joined the nosebleeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the time, his time in the nosebleeds was like incredibly important for him because before like this, he was in love with music, but his furthest ventures were like complaining about, about like the Ramones to the enemy or like trying to maybe play drums that was so but then funny. just giving it I was up like, i was like oh my gosh i can't i can't imagine him playing drums it's so i think right i mean like all right and also like the old pictures of morrissey with like the big long like frizzy black hair yeah. i could see that version playing drums mm-hmm. but then getting tired very very quickly he gives up after three songs Aww. max oh steven Steven um but also like 
in the nosebleeds, he's able to actually do a little bit of singing. Mm-hmm. And he writes some words, which, hey, guess what? They're actually kind of good if only we had them. We only have their reputation to go off of. Yeah. Um. And he's doing, like, he's suddenly, like, coming out of his shell just a little bit more. Like, still very reserved. But, like, I think Billy Duffy uh, talked about this, like, you know, Morrissey gets up on stage and he's just a different creature. And suddenly, out of nowhere, he's just throwing glitter from his pockets into the crowd during one of the songs. Like, this is not the same person. You know, I think some of the best musicians are like that, where it's like you talk to them off a stage and they're just like kind of like normal people. But then you see them on stage Mm -hmm. and they just turn into animals. I mean... Don't subtweet him, just at Brett Anderson, you know? Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. That, that especially having met him at the Suede gig, he just seems like some, like, mm-hmm. normal, kind of, like, reserved, quiet guy. But then, yeah, you know, on he's, stage... He's, he's just a father. On stage, he's launching himself off of a random little box in the middle of the stage and landing on his knees in a rug in front of me at the Palladium. And he's, like, crawling around on all fours, and he's whipping the sweat off of his hair. Yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, we'll we'll start a suede podcast or something after this one is done. Um, That would be very much like me, actually. Um, But anyways, Morrissey, just, like, totally becoming a frontman, and then suddenly, like, you know, there's an... Uh, not an A&R guy, but like a talent scout that comes to, I think, the second uh, Nosebleeds gig. And he's really, really excited. And then they meet up with uh, Billy Duffy to get like a deal going and whatever. And Billy Duffy has to call Morrissey and tell him the hard news of they just want me. Yeah. It's not, it's not the, it's not the group. I'm so sorry. Oh boy, that oh, I can just imagine just like a stab to the heart, like yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, because like his first real foray into putting himself out there, and like before everybody knew him as an outsider, but like kind of an outsider looking in, and for the first time, he was an outsider like shouting to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like got a slap on the wrist for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very um, sad. Yeah, very sad. Okay, let's see. Where do we go now? What's what comes next for Steven? Um the furious sound of a typewriter over and over and over again to uh to the enemy just like trying to at least do something involving music, something involving Mm -hmm. writing. Yeah. And also making a whole lot of enemies. Yep. Oh, yes. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, And then at some point, he writes a little book about the New York Dolls, too. It's like a little zine. I forgot about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I I want to read it. I'm sure there's some copies floating around just selling for, like, millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you listened to uh to the last episode, but uh the guest the guest host, Elise, 
was talking about Morrissey's obsession with the New York Dolls and how he's sometimes like, yeah, I'm not really into them anymore. And the, the next week he's like, I would die if I didn't have their debut album with me at all times. And she just basically said, girl, just say that you're still into them. You're still into yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. God, I, I, I love Morrissey's longtime obsessions. Um, yeah. And he he does hold on to them, like, from this early point in his life, throughout the end. Like, so even, like, years down the road, um, in, like, 2005 or something, um, there is this documentary made about... Uh, one of the New York Dolls, uh, Arthur Kane, also known as Arthur Killer. Um, and it's just basically about like his early life and then also his conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's like a large part of it is just like, hey, finding finding God and like sober living after 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 years of drugs and heavy alcohol use. And you know who's a star interview in that? Morrissey. That uh, Morrissey. Morrissey is interviewed in that in that documentary, um, and it's obvious he's just like still obsessed with the New York Dolls, even like decades later. You know, yeah. it's a new century. Yeah. It's a new millennium, <laughs> and Morrissey is still in love with the New York Dolls to the point where he shows up in this seemingly random documentary. Aww. Steven. Steven. He, he likes what he likes and hates what he hates. That's just... That's true. You are very blessed, I would say, if you find even some middle ground between those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but... Anyways, so we know we know Morrissey's obsessions. We know a little bit of his upbringing and like his family. Not necessarily the most privileged life, but also like he has done some amazing things in uh in the first 20 years of his life, you know. I mean, at least surviving Manchester, that's, you know, one pretty pretty important feat. Um but then I think we've kind of been, you know, getting up to the point and then poking it and then running away a little bit. He gets a knock on his doorstep. Or on his door. Not on the door. Alyssa, you want to take it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he gets the, the knock on the door and it's Johnny, right? Johnny Marr saying, mm -hmm. I want to start a band. And Steven is like, okay, come in. And then there's the whole, like, what what do you want to call it? Like, um, the test? Sort of like Yes, no, the test. The, the test is exactly right. Like, it's like, it's like in um, the Odyssey, where um, Odysse uh, Odysseus is like, yeah, tell me about, like, or not Odysseus, excuse me. It's like in the Odyssey, when they're talking about, like, the marriage bed, and then it's mm -hmm. like, it's like a test, like... Yeah, you can you move the bed? No, because it's in a tree. Okay, cool. You're the real Odysseus. Um, so <laughs> it's like, okay, pick a record. Okay, you picked this, like, obscure, like, the cookies, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. And not only that, the B-side. Yeah, like, the B-side, it's like, you passed the test. Morrissey's, all right, 
I imagine in my mind it's a little bit like Johnny is flicking through the records and every now and again he like looks back over to Morrissey kind of behind his shoulder and Morrissey's just like his eyebrows just kind of like raise when it's over a record that is kind of questionable and so uh, Johnny just like keeps going a little bit further and whatever <laughs> granted I guess he didn't get that far he got to the seas yeah yeah um yeah there there was a non sequitur I was going to tell about this one horse that learned how to do like advanced algebra by just watching people's like anticipation of like getting of him getting the right answer oh uh... yeah uh but that's kind of what I imagine it like in my uh in my mind but I think obviously like Johnny just knew like mm-hmm this is what I should play. Got the vibe from him right away. I mean, there's a there's a cardboard, a life-size cardboard cutout of James Dean in Morrissey's room. Of course he's going to love 60s girl pop. Yeah. Yep. Um, And as well, Johnny Marr was really into that at the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the stars just kind of aligned after it seemed like the stars were going out in Morrissey's life previous to this. Mm-hmm. And he corroborates the same story uh, that, you know, if Johnny Marr hadn't wandered into his life, he'd probably still be in that room, you know, yeah. just eating toast, reading Oscar Wilde and writing angry letters to the melody maker. Oh boy. Ugh. And I feel like, at this point, do we talk a lot about, like, Morrissey in The Smiths? Because I feel like we talked a lot in one episode uh, about Morrissey's relationship with the press, which I feel like mm-hmm. is Morrissey's life in The Smiths. Yeah, for sure. Um, see, because, I mean, after that, it's his the beginnings of his solo career, which yeah, when I was, you know, organizing my mind on um steven steven patrick um Mm -hmm. patty boy patty yeah it's so funny the kids called him patty as like at at, like at school as kind of like a slur Mm -hmm. like haha you're irish haha you know what's funny is it was only used very rarely but i also was called patty at was called Patty uh, in a way that where people were trying to make fun of me because one of my middle names is Paddington. And so, um, and so somehow like someone figured that out and they called me Patty and immediately they could tell, like, I didn't like it. I understand why it's a very juvenile sounding <laughs> name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So where, where were we? Uh, solo career, right? Um, yeah, let's see. Right off the bat, Viva Hate, you know, coming out in, um, I guess March of '88, you know, not which is amazing. Yeah, and I mean, Swayhead was released in like February 1988, so like just like a month prior, and then it's like mm-hmm. you know, after the Smiths broke up, like what's that sort of grace period of no more Smiths, and then no more Morrissey. Like, how long was that? Do you, do you remember? Um, 
the Smiths, let's see, they break up in, I want to say, like, May of 1987. Uh, but it's still just amazing to me that, uh, let's see. You know, I could probably look it up in another one of my books. Um, but we'll stick with May, because that's what I want to stick with. Okay. Um, they stick with... Uh, they stick? No, they do not stick. They break up. Um, they break up in around, like, uh, early 1987. Um, their final album, uh, Strange Ways, comes out at the very end of September of 1987. Mm-hmm. So... You've got October, November, December, uh, January, February. That's five months later. Yeah. And Suedehead comes out. Uh huh. And it's like in in the few months before the Smiths broke up, I think, um, Morrissey and Stephen Street had started writing the songs that would eventually become Viva Hate. Mm hmm. So, um, I just think that's interesting how there was like even behind the scenes, that kind of overlap of it being like, okay, the Smiths are going to end. I'm going to start my own thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so... In my mind, at least, like, that is the... uh, Viva Hate and, like, everything surrounding Viva Hate is the, like, extension of the Smiths. Like, it's not the Smiths, but it's still kind of the Smiths, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's the same sort of things that Morrissey is talking about. And granted, Vinnie Riley is a very different guitarist than Johnny Marr. But, like, they're just doing... Uh, they're doing the extension of the Smiths. Like, Morrissey did this as well with uh, his Wolverhampton gig. Uh, that was his first time reappearing after... Uh, the Smiths broke up, but he gets uh, Andy Rourke. He gets Mike Joyce. He gets Craig Gannon. Yeah. Um, and like, he says, "Sorry, go for it." I was saying, if that's not like a middle finger to Johnny Marr, I don't know what is. <laughs> like, <laughs> and not not only that, but the what what song did they open up with? Um, I'm pretty sure it's um. I'm pretty sure it stopped me. Um, but let, let me check. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it stopped me if you think you've heard this one before. Um, and then, like, they do one or two other Smith songs that the Smiths never got to perform live. Um, but it was very clear at this point in time, like, Morrissey still wanted the Smiths. Like, Mm -hmm. he was doing those songs and, like, that gig specifically with those musicians because he felt like he never got a chance for the fans to say goodbye to the Smiths. He felt like he never got to say goodbye to them as the frontman for the Smiths. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting It breaks my heart just a little bit, you know? Mm. And... I know I've mentioned this probably 80 billion times in other episodes, 
because I am absolutely in love with this. But uh, one of the books that I was so excited to get my hands on again and I couldn't find was a book called Morrissey in his own words, which was like uh, a book of just Morrissey quotes and like interactions with the press compiled and like chaptered by uh, or sectioned off by subject matter. And there's one tiny little chapter labeled Johnny Marr and the interview, uh, the interviewer asks him like the question, like, what do you think about like Johnny Marr? And Morrissey just kind of says like, he's so amazing. And he was definitely like the person that saved me. And like, he helped me create such beautiful things. And like, I, I absolutely wish the best, the very best for him. And I think about him all the time. And then the interviewer asks, what would you do? Uh, what would you do if Johnny said to you, I want to work together again? And Morrissey's response was something along the lines of, well, we all know what train I'd be on immediately. And I was like, ooh, ooh, spicy. You're breaking my, you're breaking my heart, son. Oh, man. Uh... Um... So Viva Hate, Viva Hate. Viva um, Hate, yeah. Viva Hate. Let's see. I think, like, lyrically and content-wise, we see more, I don't know, I don't know, again, like, more contrarianism mm -hmm. than what may have been in The Smiths. Because there was, like, a handful of songs that were sort of, like, um... Like, Suffer Little Children, you know, like, stuff, like, where it's kind of, like, taboo, but, you know, there wasn't that much, but, like, um, mm -hmm. like, let's see, let me see here, um, first of the international Playboys, right? Um, Wait, hold on. The music video is very green, La last of, and it's, last like, of, uh, international. Last of the famous international, yeah. yeah. I was, like, first of, first of the gang to die, last of the famous, there we go. Yeah. Um, let's see. So did I, is but it like, yeah, everything, everything kind of green. Yeah. So it's green. Um, and Andy Rourke and, um, my stories are in the music video. That's just mm -hmm. a funny fact. But like that, that song I think is essentially is about, um, how we tend to sensationalize or kind of turn like, I don't know what you want to call them, but um, people that shouldn't be celebrities into celebrities. So I think mm -hmm. his his main thing is like the Cray twins. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, um, like, you do you know about Rennie? Ro excuse me. Rennie's not a name. Reggie and Ronnie. Only, only very vaguely. Most of my knowledge comes from this song. Yeah, so they were they were twin brothers, I believe, and they were um, a part of a gang called, I believe, the Firm, and um, very much organized crime in um, the East End of London in the nineteen fifties. And you know they were criminals; they murdered people. But then you know they were rubbing arms with like celebrities of the time. So it's sort of like an indictment, you know, the song is an indictment of that sort of culture around 
like in our lifetime, those who kill the the news world brings them stardom. The news world grants them stardom. Yeah. yeah. And like, um, interesting drug. That is an interesting song. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It talks about you know drug use in working class and how, you know, Thatcher and the right wing government were trying to clamp down on that. And he was saying, yeah. you know, like like even if it's like you know illegal or legal, like just like kind of taking that away from people kind of like um so i guess sort of being like you shouldn't do that if they're just having a good time if that's like the only thing Mm -hmm. really going on in their uh, working class lives but let's see oh yeah because i i mean i really like um i think a really good um point of view is from the outsider again is piccadilly polare now we're transferring to yes um uh um bona drag so it's like do you know like polare and all of that sort of culture i ha- i have a funny story after this tell me okay what wh- what's so, what's all this going on so the song is you know themes of again kind of it's giving real around the fountain a little bit um like male prostitution and sex work and polare is like i don't know what you want to call it like can't slang which is like a secret mm-hmm. language where it's like, you know, if you and I wanted to say stuff and we didn't want someone else to know what we were saying, we would use it. So it's mm-hmm. like, um, it's like, like a bona drag. That means good clothes in Polari. Mm-hmm. And in the chorus, um, bona tuvada, your lovely eek and your lovely raya. Like, you know, bona is good. Uh, Vada is like like or like to look or see, so it's good to see you, and like mm-hmm. your lovely eek and your lovely Raya, your lovely um, what is it, face and hair. So it's like you know right. things, you know, co- content matter and you know just totally out of left field, you know, and um, there's another song I wanted to talk about too, but you you had a Piccadilly Polare, kind of story um so this is kind of embarrassing actually um so the the first time i ever went and saw uh morrissey live i went with a group of friends and we were seated pretty close to like the back of a balcony and i wanted to like sit a little further up and like scope out like what was going on whatever um and so i sit down while everybody is still getting seated and this guy comes and sits down next to me and of course, you know, he's there for Morrissey because, you know, we're all there for Morrissey. Um, and we just start talking because I'm super excited. It's the first time I've been to a Morrissey show. And we start talking about, like, Piccadilly Polare. And I'm like, oh, I love that song. And, like, we're talking about it and, like, the different connotations of it. And while we are talking about... uh about Piccadilly Polari, this song about like speaking in code and like uh and like the gay community in uh in England I slowly realize this guy is hitting on me <laughs> and I'm like wait a second hold on, he's bringing up all of these things and he's like, I can tell like he's trying to get like a little bit closer to me. And I'm like, 
for one thing, I'm like 17 years old. I'm not. I didn't even live in the state at that time. I was visiting my friends because I knew that Morrissey was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this is a very weird circumstance to be in. But like, I was just like, ah, you know, it's probably my imagination. And then like, after like the show was about to get started and whatever, I went and sat back with my friends and more and more of the pieces started to fall together. Like, no, actually he was like, like trying to like, you know, uh, like a hand on the shoulder or whatever. And like all of the, these sorts of cues and I'm just this naive, like, 17-year-old kid, like, yeah, I think Piccadilly Polari is a great song, oh, you no. know? Uh, uh, boy. But also, what a great story. Yeah, and a great song. I think that's that's one of my favorite Morrissey songs um, out of his solo stuff. Um, oh, yeah, like... I mean, it, it, it's, absolutely. The, it's the opening track of Bona Drag 2. Mm-hmm. So just starting really strong. Um, and then also on Bona Drag, November Spawned a Monster. Oh my goodness. The, the, the music line of November Spawned a Monster. Yeah. The music oh video. He's like, he just like licks the side of the chocolate bar. Like, yeah, weird. But, um, I didn't, I didn't Speaking realize of, this. Oh yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Uh, the, apparently like Morrissey has like grocers and whatever, and they, have said before like Morrissey has a terrible eating habit where like to the point where sometimes he'll just request that we go out and get um crisps like potato chips mm-hmm. um chocolate bars and juice and that's Morrissey's diet oh oh he just wants his chocolate yeah <laughs> okay. um vegan chocolate probably yes. of course but so uh, November spawned a monster. I didn't realize this until I was reading up on it and really looking at the lyrics. And um, it's about, quote unquote, the troubles of the disabled. So it's like mm-hmm. this sort of, you know, but like a revulsion, like calling them like a monster, you know, but at the same time, they're sort of that, well, is he trying to do something? So is it like, is the song... A reflection of his like earnest perspective of disabled people or is it more of a sort of holding up a mirror a mirror to the listener being like is this what you think of them like a way to question their own mm-hmm. biases which is i think really interesting but regardless again it's speaking to his emphasis and i guess just predilection of approaching outsider themes because it's like you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect like a pop song to be written about the troubles of the disabled people. Like so it's like murderers, uh gay sex work, drugs, and like what did I say, murderers? It's like Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kinda interesting that he would write about this stuff. And I don't know if that's yeah. him. If that's him just being like, no, this content matter is something like earnest, or is it just like I'm gonna write about this, all of this stuff because I want to be different. I think we kind of hit like a focal point here, where like, or fo- maybe um, a hinge point 
Maybe that's what I'm going for. Because, like, in, like, Viva Hate as well, you get, like, some of it with um, Bengalian platforms. Mm -hmm. Which I think is Morrissey just, like, earnestly trying to say, like, why why are we treating uh, immigrants like this? Or, like, why is this the thing that immigrants who come into this country that they feel so alienated and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel like November, November spawned a monster is that same sort of thing where it's like, he's not trying to call this disabled person a monster. What he's trying to say is like, this is this hole that you've put them in that they Mm -hmm. aren't able to do things for themselves that they'll never be able to find love or whatever. Uh, Cause like at the end of the song, it ends with, you know, she won't be rich or beautiful, but at least she'll be walking the sh- or yeah, mm-hmm. but she'll be walking the streets in the clothes that she picked out for herself. Yeah. Like, I think it's around this time when this starts to become what Morrissey writes about, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a lot more like he's distanced from it in an incredibly ironic twist of fate he writes reader meet author um a song about looking at the troubles of somebody else and taking them in as if they're your own and Mm -hmm. then like sensationalizing the fact for your profit yeah that's a great song it is a great song but i just think it's so funny and ironic that that kind of has become uh, some of what Morrissey does with his lyrics. Yeah. And we get a little bit more extreme, like, later on down the line with, like, the girl from Tel Aviv who would not kneel. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm then... not saying, like, you can't write about, like, things that you see around you that you yourself don't experience, but mm-hmm. it almost becomes, like, the thing that Morrissey writes about. Yeah. Yeah. And, I don't know, there's just so much interesting stuff in his solo career. But I think also something I noticed, too, is that the relationship of Viva Hate and Bona Drag showed, like, a shift. Whereas, you know, instead of releasing albums back-to-back, right, he Mm -hmm. released Viva Hate and then just, like, you know, put out some singles and just put out Mm -hmm. random stuff and then compiled it onto Bona Drag, and that was, I guess that was something that sort of followed him and that he's done throughout his career. Like, another example is My Early Burglary Years, which, you know, Reader yes. author is on there, mm-hmm. and I, don't, I really like that one. I really like My Early Burglary. I can't even say that. I do, too. But... Like, I love I love the uh, the combination of, like, Boxers and Sunny yes, on, yes. A, on so- that. Yes. Sunny, oh, love that song. Um, uh, the yeah. one time, the one time Morrissey has pretty much like post Smith's been like, actually, you know what, Andy Rourke, you were kind of cool. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. I I feel so sad for you, but. Yeah. Oh boy. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to cover? Um, I think, like, I think there's just so much within this. Like, we've covered the first, what, 35-ish 
years of life for him were right about no actually more like 33 uh more like 32 uh, more like 31 years of life for him because this brings us about to like 1990 and then 1991 is kill uncle 92 is your arsenal and both of these out or maybe not kill uncle so much but like your arsenal uh Vauxhall and i southpaw grammar at least to some extent these are all like albums that definitely deserve recognition and even further on down we could just have a part two for this to be honest but i know that i would want to do a lot more research because around like 94 is when i start to go real foggy on morrissey until about 2004 Mm -hmm. yeah um i'm kind of the same way but i mean what's really like the parts of his career that are really strong are really strong. So it's like that your arsenal, true. your arsenal, amazing album. You are the Quarry mm. with like the Tommy gun on it, where he's holding yeah. the Tommy gun. Like that, yeah. that is a great one. Um, and I don't know, like you talk, you talk to any Morrissey fan and they will all have a different record and even say, you know, no, I think this record is stronger than that one. But I don't know, at the end of the day, there's there's just something about this man. He just has a certain power that can unite people in either mm-hmm. love or hate or anything in between, but... Um, sometimes even at the same time, you sometimes know? Sometimes at the same time, but... Yeah, I don't know. He he really He really broke the mold. I mean, he is such a big sort of figure in our culture you know like i've gone to several Mm -hmm. morrissey shows in my day and um almost every other guy who's around my age in their 20s has like a pompadour and horned horned rimmed glasses and it's like you just didn't (laughs) you didn't pull that out of nowhere you you looked at a at a poster or something and you're like i want this you go you go to the hairdresser and just pull up a portrait of morrissey and say hey give me that I've done that before. Yeah. Uh, don't call me out like that, Alyssa. <laughs> and, I mean, we were talking about The Simpsons earlier. Did you ever see this the Morrissey episode of The Simpsons? He was... I, I watched that not too long ago, and it was really good. Um, the character's name is Willoughby. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. And it's just like, the attention to detail that the animators got and getting like, you know, like just, you know, Oscar Wilde things like Oscar Wilde imagery and like posters. And like, there was like a Sheila Delaney poster in Lisa's Mm -hmm. room. And I was like, that is amazing. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, like thinking about again, cultural, there was a, do you, did you ever watch the, the show Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? Yes, yes, I did. There, is is there? There was an imaginary All right, tell me, friend. Tell me. There is an imaginary friend, and it was a um. What's that Morse code? Like a Morse code machine. Like oh, the yeah, dot, yeah. dot 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 dot. And uh-huh. it, it was Morris C. Like that was, the, and it was like singing, like, like it was like <laughs> talking, and it was like to the like, like the theme or not the theme, the melody of like panic. 
and like <laughs> probably I think like girlfriend in a coma and it was like this little Morse mm-hmm. code Morse code machine and it had like a pompadour and glasses on it and it's just like if that just doesn't like a kid show a kid show mm-hmm. pulling out Morrissey and um yeah I don't know he's just he's he's a riddle wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a cardigan like there's just so, so much going on with him um I mean I could talk I could talk about him all day because I, I don't know there's yeah. there's something that I think every Smiths are solo every like lonely teenager has looked at Morrissey and been like someone understands me yeah someone understands no, for me. real oh my gosh he truly is like such a um such an enthralling person to to dive into and to study and like an incredible source of like um not fulfillment um camaraderie i guess mm-hmm. yeah like i think even before like you know the explosion of social media or like uh easy access to celebrities he was that parasocial figure for Mm -hmm. so many people oh absolutely absolutely and um like there's like like morrissey smith's conventions but i think you know out of all the smiths you know obviously morrissey is the most polarizing so i think therefore he just gets Mm -hmm. the most attention in general so it's always like morrissey and the smiths when like you're kind of situating them like you don't really think about like oh yeah that's like johnny marr in the smiths just kind of like that's johnny marr because you know he's done like the smiths and like modest mouse and the the and all of that stuff but it's like morrissey's Mm -hmm. only ever been morrissey yeah actually you could just say that's true for his entire life morrissey has only ever been morrissey wow that well done round of applause that was well done good job us (laughs) yeah that was really good (laughs) Well, I, I don't know of any any better way to end that section, so you want to mm-hmm. move on to the next one? Sure. All right. All right, Alyssa. So you are familiar with our very, very, very incredibly special playlists, aren't you? Yes, indeed, I am. Fantastic. Um, But for those of you that aren't aware, with every single one of these episodes, we like to put a playlist together of of songs that you'll enjoy listening to. We'll throw in some Smith songs, some Morrissey solo songs, and we'll also give you some of our recommendations. Maybe it's things that we've been working on or things that we just think are kind of cool and want you to listen to. Um, And you can find all of those songs, every playlist for each episode on our Spotify page, uh, which is Smith Cyclopedia, um, which is different than the podcast page. I'm sorry. I don't know how to merge those two if I even could. Um, but yeah, it's spelled the same way as the podcast, Smith Cyclopedia. And so you can find this one under Smith Cyclopedia episode 12. Alyssa, what's... What uh? What Morrissey songs should we throw on there? 
Morrissey and Smith's. Oh, man. Um... Huh. There's there's so there's so many so many, um, I wrote a list of a few. Um, All right. I'm gonna pick one. I'm gonna dial a cliche. That song. All right. So atmospheric, so beautiful. He played it live at one of the shows I saw, and it was just like a religious experience. It's just like this beautiful sort of like open song and like just his voice like a fine wine has just you know gotten better with age so it's just kind of like this emotional reverberation of Morrissey and it just like ugh, the song mm-hmm. is like a knife to the heart for sure oh my goodness I forgot about Dial a Cliche but absolutely like such a good song uh grow up be a man and shut your mealy mouth is something that is just forever in my mind Mm because like i feel like i've heard that from so many other people in so many other but really very very similar ways over uh over the time that i've been alive and like the um gosh what was it you find that you've organized your feelings for people who didn't like you then and do not like you now oh it's like yeah oh my goodness what are you doing to me man oh heartbreak you did not have to go this hard and this sad but you did but you did that that's morrissey you didn't have to go this hard yeah. and this sad but you did yeah um so, yeah. i'm going to say we should throw on headmaster ritual because morrissey's youth you know and we uh-huh. talked about it and uh you know uh bruises big as dinner plates mm-hmm. um etc etc yeah he does the the military two step down yeah. the nape of my neck. <laughs> uh, Let's see what yeah. else. There's so many. Did you have a um, a Morrissey song you wanted to add? I think we should do November. November spawned a monster. Yeah, that's that we talked about that one. That I I don't know. That's just I love that song and it's so funny because I've seen him. What? Let me do the math four times and every single time has been in november right and he uh-huh. he, he didn't play that song until the fourth time i saw him and i was like <laughs> dude i've been seeing you play for november for the, like like the last three years and you haven't played that song once and then i saw him play where was it the microsoft theater which used to be the nokia theater downtown la and he like busted mm-hmm. that out and I was like, finally. But that song that song goes hard. Like the cool like conga yeah. and all the cool percussion in it. Alright. Hold on. Now I wanna get your feeling on this. Perhaps they w- won't have it on streaming services. But maybe as a substitute for November Spawn the Monster. Girl least likely to. Oh no that that one's that one's on that one's on Spotify. All right, fantastic. Because I'm like, wait a second, that's on the November spawned a monster single, and the entire song is just pretty much a thinly veiled recap of Morrissey's childhood yeah, and teenage years. And it's self-referential too, like, um, and one more song about the queen or standing around the, the shops with thieves. Yeah. Like, okay, like, okay, like the queen is dead, and like, what, what is that? 
handsome shoplifters or yeah shoplifters too (laughs) yeah oh my gosh i love i love how thinly veiled it is too like he says like the only difference is really that he says the girl least likely to instead of the morrissey least likely to or whatever you know Mm -hmm. um Oh, someone's got to make it, she screams, oh, so but good. why, why can't it be me? Why can't it be me? Uh, so page after page of sniping rage. That's Morrissey right there. Yeah. Ooh, that's Morrissey. <sighs> um, okay, so that's... All right, we, we, we need one more song to round out. Round so we, out. Have, we have Sunny, right? Dial cliche. Uh-huh. Girl is likely to. Did we include... No- Do we want to include November? I think we talked about Headmaster Ritual. Head, okay, there we go. That's our four Headmaster. Yeah. November, November Spawned a Monster, I will say this. Just go watch the music video. Yeah. I, I love that music video. It's also where the cover of Bona Drag comes from. So, you know, you kind of got to. Yeah. Um, yeah, just have uh, a nice nice experience in the desert with some chocolate and a yeah. black mesh shirt. Yes. And I think some eyeliner. Um, I think he's wearing eyeliner oh, yeah, in that yeah, I forgot one. about that. Yeah. Um, all right. So those, those are Morrissey Smith's picks. Alyssa, the time has now come. What do you recommend outside of that? Um, so one of these songs I was listening to the other day, and it reminded me of, I guess, General Smith's Morrissey-ness. Morrissey, uh, hyphen N-E-S-S, Morrissey-ness. Um, okay. And it's it's a song called Drugstore Perfume by Gerard Way. And for those... Yes! Yeah, you know that one? I do. Oh, man. I, I think I got... I think I listened to Gerard Way's, like, solo albums before I listened to any MCR albums. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, all right. This is just cool. Yeah. Um, um, anyways, continue. Yeah, I mean... Um, I think it's reflective of looking at someone on the outside, like she waits uh, in windows, her dreams don't show in color. Mm-hmm. Like she wishes she could wear another girl's evening out. Just a sort of like melancholy figure. And it's again, like this, this, we were talking about a wish fulfillment sort of song. I think that was like girl is mm-hmm. likely to, it's that same sort of, why can't it be me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Gerard Way and My Chemical Romance, all the guys in that band, they're like huge Morrissey and Smiths fans. So that, de- you know, that definitely makes sense. But, um, a lot of Morris, uh, Morrissey's lyrics is storytelling too. Um, and I think, you know, that has definitely been imprinted upon I think a lot of the lyricism of Gerard Way mm-hmm. and um yeah Drugstore Perfume is beautiful song the two times I saw Gerard Way live I cried during this song I'm a, I'm a big fat nerd I'll admit it I cried during the song both times I saw him um and it's a great album um I'm looking at my notes I wrote some notes about it because nerd pushing up my glasses up the bridge of my nose because I'm a nerd um yeah it's from yeah, it's from his 2014 album Hesitant Alien, which if you haven't listened 
to it all the way through after you've listened to this week's playlist of all our Morrissey Plus songs, go listen to Hesitant Alien. Um, it's very Britpop influenced too. So it's like, you can tell like he listened to like Suede and Pulp on that record. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what else? What else about that song? Oh, it captures, I think it captures the quote unquote kitchen sink realism that you see often in Morrissey's work. This sort of like downtrodden figure. Um, sort yeah, like sort of like, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, um, and maybe like the night has opened my eyes kind of taking a step back, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so that's one song, Drugstore Perfume by Gerard Way. And then um, another song that I've been really vibing with is You First by Paramore from their latest record. Uh, it's called, the record is called This Is Why, but the song I really like is called You First. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's some of their strongest material um, in a few years. And it's definitely some of Haley's strongest vocal performance. Like, I mean, she's just an animal, period, vocally. But I don't know. There's just something that's, like, really mature about this album. You know, they're not, like, a band like, I don't know what you want to call them, like, Blink-182, where it's like, okay, we get it. You're writing pop-punk songs about being a teenager and how much your life sucks. But it's like, no. Like, with this record, Paramore is writing about like the state of the world and like you know how you feel helpless like the song i'm talking about here is like the news like there's a lyric where she's like um i still worry and i give money and i feel useless behind this computer you know so it's like you know content like that where it's like you know they're obviously like in their 30s and they're growing up and um it's just just a great album start to front Start start to front, excuse me, back to front, front to back, start to finish. Um, no, 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 it's still start to front, because you play it, and you get to the end, and you're and like, that was so good, I have to start over again. Press the repeat button. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, those are my two songs. Two songs. Alyssa, you got another one to go. I do? Okay. <gasps> Yay. Um, let's see. Let me look at... My spot Spotify that I've been. That also sounded to a lot more patronizing than I meant it. <laughs> no, Whoops. no, no, no! You know you're good. Um, hmm. Okay. Another song that I like is "Leash Called Love" by the Sugar Cubes. Do you know the Sugar Cubes? Yes, I love yeah. the Sugar Cubes. Yep. Everyone knows like birth, I, uh, birthday or whatever, but "Leash Called Love" yeah. that is a good song. Just hear like. <laughs> Teenage Bjork just, like, screaming and, like, caterwauling, but, like, also being, like, incredibly beautiful and, like, makes you go, like, ah, damn, that's good. Yeah. No, for real. I love how just utterly off the walls the sugar cubes are. Because, like, Bjork has, uh, Bjork has a penchant for, like, being very experimental, but, like, I don't think she's ever just as, like, utterly crazy as in the sugar cubes. Mm-hmm. Like... Her and, um, oh, I can't remember the other guy's yeah, name. I can't remember his But name the guy either. that kind of, like, raps, kind of. Uh-huh. Um, they're just, like, they're insane. Yeah. Uh, just like, post-punk craziness. Also, maybe it's just my theory, but I've always thought 
that uh, the song Deuce or Deus or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. is like, yeah, it's like, you know, the sort of atheist or agnostic sort of like God does not exist or whatever. But I also like listening and reading into some of the lyrics. I was like, are they trying to imply that Morrissey is God? Because it would have come out like like late 80s, early 90s when Morrissey was at the top of his game. Oh, wow. Um. Anyways, Sugar Cubes. I love the Sugar Cubes. Yeah. So yeah, I guess so those are my three songs. All right. Fantastic. Um, well, I've got a, I've got a few as well. Um, I'm going, I'm going to start off with, uh, one that I found on, of all things, the soundtrack or one of the many soundtrack CDs to Gilmore Girls, um, which was in my sister's car. And I was like, you better believe I'm listening to this. And it was just filled with some of like the best, like, uh, late eighties, early nineties, up to very early two thousands music, alternative music that I've heard. And one of these things is uh, the song Child Psychology by Black Box Recorder, a very sort of like uh, spoken word uh, verse, but then the guitars are like kind of almost like a dissonant melodic. I don't know if uh, if that makes sense. Oh, I, I fell in love with this song immediately. Um, another one that... Uh, that I want to highlight, not from that, uh, not from that album or that soundtrack CD. Still very, very good. Uh, if you can find a Gilmore Girls uh, CD, then I highly recommend you buy it. Um, another one more uh, contemporary to the Smiths is uh, the song Wonderful Life by Black, who I think was a. Uh, I think he's from Germany. Um, But the song is almost like a tongue-in-cheek, like, reflection of life. Like, oh, you know, it's a very, very, you know, wonderful, wonderful life that somebody would be reflecting on on their deathbed. But it's, like, very, like, uh, like, is it really, though? Um, Anyways, I don't know. But I... I also love that sort of thing where it's like, you know, you can be really optimistic about it or you can be really pessimistic about it. It just depends on how you listen to it and how you want to interpret, like, whether the guy is like, it's a, it's actually a wonderful life or, oh yeah, what a wonderful life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, so those are my, uh, my first two picks is uh, Child Psychology and Wonderful Life. And my third is actually a little bit of self-promotion. Yay! Um, I So on the day that this episode releases, I will be having a, uh, a new song of mine release, my third single from this upcoming uh, collection of songs. Uh, the song is called The Tears of Two Edge Lovers. And it's a really, really uh, guitar-driven track. Um about wanting to get back into a relationship that you really, really know you shouldn't and kind of the mental frustration that comes with it. Um, and I tried, I tried my hand at some, like, some different things. So, like, uh, the chord progression that I used for it is 
uh, is kind of similar to like a chord progression that the format would use. And then the lead guitar that I wrote for it, I wanted it to kind of sound a little like suede. Um, and then some of the lyrics for it, I wanted to be kind of clever, but I'm very, very proud of the song. So please, please, please go check that out. Um, again, that's the tears of two edge lovers. Um, but I think that pretty much rounds out our playlist. Um, do we want to give a shout out to anybody else? Not included on the playlist, just like, hey, yo, you're pretty cool. Um, like musically? Sure, yeah. I'll do some I mean, it can be it can be your dad. I'll I, do some, it can be whoever. I'll do some self-promotion. Um, you can check All out right. my band, Brid- Bittersweethearts. You can find us on Instagram at Bittersweetheartsband. Um, by the time this comes out, we will be on tour. We will be going on tour from May 1st through the uh, 11th. So you can check us All out right. there. Yeah, we'll be playing New York City, Nashville, uh, St. Louis, Austin, Phoenix, San Diego, and then we uh, wrap up in uh, Los Angeles. But no Salt Lake City. No Salt Lake City. No. The next one. The next one. But uh, if you if you're listening, if you're listening, and you live near any of those cities, you can you can um, go to bittersweethearts.com. I think that's our website, and you can um, buy yourself a ticket. Come on down to the show. Uh, Come up to me and say, "Hey, Smith Cyclopedia sent me," and then I'll give you a pat on the back and say, "Thanks for listening, pal." So come on down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fantastic. I would highly recommend any anybody listening if you are in any of those locations or within 2 hours of any of those locations. Go see them, please. Yep. Oh, okay, I just checked my notes. Our website is bittersweetheartsband.com. You can buy your tickets there. Uh to shill myself a bit, you can also buy merch there and Ooh. buy yourself a ticket again. Buy yourself a ticket and then another ticket. Hey, uh, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, can you buy those guitar picks that look like uh, chalk candy hearts? Oh, let's see. I don't, not yet. Not yet, but we're, I don't think we have any on our at our shop at the moment but but soon i think all right oh yeah oh no i know awesome. the, the 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 picks uh from there they're, they're from this company called anatomy of sound mm. really yeah really great i like to use those picks they're shaped like hearts and the ones i was gifted have my name on them and they have bittersweet hearts on them and i feel like a very professional lady rock star when i was gifted <laughs> those i was like ooh, i'm so fancy all right, well, fancy, fancy lady, we have one section left. Uh, let's move into it. All right. All right, so this is the mail portion of the show, and we actually have mail to go through <gasps> oh, this yay. week. So, yeah. Um, we've got, uh, someone writing in, uh, that's been writing in a little bit more, sometime writing, someone writing in for the first time, and, uh, someone that I was just barely introduced to and have been talking, uh, back and forth with a little bit. So, uh, if you're interested in contacting the show, 
you can do so by emailing us at smithcyclopedia. Whoa. You can email us using our email, which is smithcyclopedia at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find more of the stuff that we kind of just put out somewhat irregularly at this point, admittedly, on our uh, social media platforms, which are also smithcyclopedia on Instagram and TikTok. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's hear from returning writer Tim. Uh, he says, thanks again for the shout out on the podcast, which was a few episodes ago, I think at this point. Awesome. Really pumped about it. Glad you spoke about my underrated Smith songs. Um, anyways, keep up the good work. Each episode is getting better. Cheers. Have a great one. And yeah, I love, I love Tim. I think, uh, I think he's so great. Um, for all the times that I mispronounce where he's from or get the entire continent of where he's living wrong or the times I mispronounce his, uh, his last name. I love him. Th thank you. And keep writing into the show. Um, we have another person that wrote in, uh, named Kurt. They said, loving the Smith Cyclopedia podcast. Hello. I just wanted to let you know how much I am enjoying your podcast. I've been a fan of the Smith since I first heard how soon is now on the dance floor of a club in 1985. Since that time, I've collected all of their music and read just about every book written for, written about the band. And presently, I'm reading The First Time I Heard the Smiths, a collection of essays by fans of the band in which they speak of how the band came into their lives, how the music affected them, and in some cases, saved their lives. If you would like suggestions for future episodes of your podcast, may I suggest one where books about the band are discussed, or perhaps one where any and all films, movies, and videos about the band are discussed. Thank you, Kurt, from Statesboro, Georgia. I would love to do either of those episodes. Um, but also, the thing that stuck out to me most about that email, besides, you know, just the fact that, like, oh my goodness, someone is liking the show, <laughs> um, is that, that book or collection he's talking about, The First Time I Heard the Smiths, that is now absolutely, like, at the very top of my reading list, you know? I need to get my hands on that. Yeah, I want to read that, too. They should release, like, subsequent editions of that so then it's, like, people can write in, because I would certainly write write an essay about that. No, yeah. M me too. I mean, heck, I feel like half of, half of the guests on the show, like, would jump on that as soon as they knew. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then our final piece of mail today comes from uh from someone named tor um i've been talking with tor just a little bit back and forth um we've been talking about like some of the compilations that he's uh put together like every time morrissey mentions david bowie in his autobiography or like uh or like every time morrissey has canceled one of his shows he said he he made that one a little bit out of spite. But uh, I asked him if there was anything that we should cover uh, in today's episode. And he gave me a list of, uh, of 10 quotes. Uh, he says, here are some quotes that ChatGPT dug up for me. Enjoy. Uh, from Bono, I think Morrissey is one of the great lyricists in the English language. I think he's up there with Shakespeare. Uh, David Bowie said... Morrissey writes wonderful, clever lyrics. He's a fantastic wordsmith. Noel Gallagher, I never really, I was never really a Morrissey fan, but I've got to say, as I get older, I'm getting more and more into him. 
He's a fascinating character. Johnny Marr. Morrissey is the Pope of Mope, and he's also a little bit of a devil. Pope of Mope? I like that. It's yeah. a good one. Uh, Russell Brand. Uh, he's one of the most interesting and intelligent people I've ever met. Tony Visconti. Morrissey is a genius, a poet, and a prophet. He's also incredibly difficult. <laughs> I, I feel like you know you know your fair share of difficult people, Tony Visconti. Yeah. Um, Michael Stipe uh, says, Morrissey is a unique talent and his influence on music and culture cannot be overstated. Shirley Manson, I love Morrissey. He is a true artist and a total enigma. Uh, Brandon Flowers, hey, my boy. Uh, <laughs> Brand- not Brandon Flowers. Brandon Flowers says, Morrissey is a hero of mine. He speaks his mind and doesn't give a damn what anyone thinks. Uh, and finally, Nick Cave says, Morrissey is a complicated and contradictory figure, but that's what makes him so compelling. And I think that's honestly, like, as much as I have to say on the subject of Morrissey. Yeah. Um, Nick Cave said it better than I could. Dang it. Gosh darn you, Nick Cave. But that actually does bring us to a really nice, solid conclusion for the show. Um we've talked about a profile of Morrissey in his years up to around 1990. Um, and there's so much more to talk about and there's so much more under like what we said, like if you haven't had a chance, just go, uh, go research a little bit about this guy's life. Or, I mean, he's got his autobiography. He's got 80 billion biographies written about him. Mm -hmm. And even if you're feeling lazy and you just want to watch something on a Sunday evening, the film England is Mine uh, was made about Morrissey's teenage years. So why not check that out as well? Mm-hmm. But as for us, I've been uh, your host, Casimir Hurd, and with me today... Alyssa Robertson. And thank you so very incredibly much for listening to Smith's Cyclopedia and listening to this. Thank you. Thank you.